Sergeant Floyd, the men and women of the James T. Long Correctional Center and the Delaware Department of Corrections will never forget your ultimate sacrifice. The spirit and strength in which you served will be forever remembered as you were an inspiration to us all. We ask you now, Sergeant Floyd, to watch over us as we carry on with the mission and give us strength to serve in your honor. Godspeed to you, sir, as we now confirm you are 10 7 and the watch at 15 30 hours. 10 100 is now lifted. Thank you. Thank you to uh, James T. Vaughn and specifically whoever was uh, in on the group that crafted that final call message. Very beautiful send-off to Sergeant Stephen Floyd. And that will be my final send-off as well to Sergeant Stephen Floyd. Welcome to a new week and what are we going to talk about this episode? Well... Numerous positions in Donald Trump's cabinet have been approved, which of course has set the internet on fire again. I don't know how democratic processes really set people off, but I do have some criticism to lob at a certain politician that I normally praise, so there will be that. All this and more coming up.
FritzCast. Monday, February 13th, 2017. Guys, welcome to yet another edition of the FritzCast. How are we all doing this week? I am substantially better this week. Uh, As you heard, obviously, opening up, uh, that was the final radio call that they had uh, conducted just yesterday. In fact, well, not yesterday. In fact, it was Saturday that they conducted it. So let me correct myself. They conducted that Saturday at 1,500 hours uh, in memory of Sergeant Stephen Floyd. And I realize—I mean, I realized in the last episode when I talked about him too. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did cover that uh, he did have acts of of extreme bravery in the end. Uh, Pretty much telling responders, you know, do not come in here. This is a trap. Do not come in here. Um, there's a lot more that could be talked about with it. There's details, of course, that haven't been released to the press. And, like I said, out of respect, uh, I can't discuss them on here. Not until they're a matter of public record, at least anyway. I will be following that case uh, tomorrow... In fact, Governor John Carney is supposed to, or supposedly going to, give details into a private investigation, or a special investigation that will be conducted. And I will be following, this will probably pop up periodically, as they say, when when details come out, we'll revisit as we need to. Uh, That's because it hits... That's because it hits close to home, on a personal note. And uh, I didn't get to attend his funeral on Saturday. I really wish I could have gone. There was over, there's something like over 2,000 law enforcement officials that attended alone, which included many, many Delaware Department of Correction officials, but also uh, police officials from across the state of Delaware, including the Delaware State Police, the Wilmington Police Department, Wilmington Fire Department, uh, other numerous police agencies, and I for, you know, forgive me for not naming them off offhand because uh, nobody really has an official tally of who was there. Uh, I, I watched video clips of people entering the, uh, the gymnasium for the services, uh, the pictures. There were New Jersey Department of Corrections, New York Department of Corrections, uh, there was Canadian Department of Corrections officials that, that traveled down to the services on Saturday. Uh, it was a tremendous outpouring of this not only local but nationwide community, and it, was, it really spoke volumes to me as a guy who's been in this job and knows that it's a, a rather thankless job. And it, it comes under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of things get put on the, under the magnifying glass from people who have no idea what happens behind the walls of a prison because that's not something that makes news. Uh, it spoke volumes to me that uh, the community and those that have ties to the community, they show up in force to, to send off somebody who who lost their life in a tragic and barbaric way. Um, it, it really does, the, the turnout for that. Now, I actually went to uh, Cabela's here in Delaware, was uh, 
hosting a a cookout in Sergeant Floyd's honor, and uh, there was a tremendous community outpouring at that. There was several. All, all the food items were donated. There was food trucks set up all throughout the parking lot. Hundreds of people flocked to the Christiana Mall uh, to, to go through there, grab some food, uh, pay, pay um, contributions to, uh, to a, f- a fund for Sergeant Floyd. And I, I read somewhere on Facebook that they raised something like $15,000. Amazing outpouring from the community. Uh, and, and a heartfelt thank you from, from somebody like me who I don't expect to get thanked for my job. I really don't. I understand that it's a thankless job. I, I just want people to realize that it's there, it's serious, and that even though you're not thinking about it, uh. It, even though you're not thinking about it all the time and it's probably in the back of most people's heads, uh, it's nice to see that kind of outpouring and support to see that people actually do care about it. I tend to forget that there's more people that care than that don't care. And the uh, the GoFundMe page that was started off by uh, somebody within our uh, Correctional Officer Association of Delaware, our union, uh, GoFundMe page is still up. Details in the description below if you would like to donate to that. They've raised $20,000 in the past 10 days. They have a $30,000 goal. That is on top of numerous community efforts from Smyrna, Delaware. A lot of small businesses were having days where portions or, or proceeds were going to fundings. So who knows how, how much money has actually been raised at this point. I'm just touched by by the by the outreach. Very very touched that so many people have uh have a caring that deep for it and I'm I'm appreciative of it. I don't think that there's not really words that can convey that. So life is kind of returning to normalcy so to so to speak. I'm in Week six now. Week six starts today. Of uh, is it week six or is it week seven? No, it's week six. I'm getting ahead of myself. Week six starts today uh, for classes. So I have uh, th- three more weeks or two more weeks of class to go, and then I'll be done. I will have my communications degree. Or enough to earn it, at least. <laughs> Whether or not they give it to me, who knows? I, I honestly don't know if they're the type to, you know, skeet, skeet, skirt, skirt around uh, giving you your stuff when you graduate or if they make you wait for a certain time period. I don't know. All I know is that I'll be done, and I'll be so ecstatic when I'm done. I'll have so much free time that I won't even know what to do with myself. It'll be, it'll be great. It'll be huge. I'll have so You'll have so much free time, you're going to wish you didn't have that much free time. Said nobody ever, nobody ever said, I have too much free time. There's there's so much time and so little to do. Wait, strike that, reverse it. But before I dive into bigly, huge El Presidente, one of the funniest news headlines I read over this past weekend, and really ever, from 6ABC Action News. 
quote, elderly man shoots wife in buttocks over sex. <laughs> oh, man. May, may I just read some excerpts here? This is from Lehigh Acres, Florida. Okay. Quote, six months ago, 76-year-old Donald Royce married his 62-year-old bride, but they haven't consummated the marriage. Hmm. After arguing about, quote, sleeping arrangements, unquote, Royce said he wanted to scare his wife by shooting the mattress. He missed and ended up shooting her in the butt and hip. The Brandonton Herald reports Royce told Lee County Sheriff deputies, I shot her and the gun is in my room, adding that he never meant to shoot her. Royce was arrested Saturday and faces a second-degree felony charge of aggravated battery using a deadly weapon. He remains in jail on a $100,000 bond. Royce's wife said that they had been together for six years and didn't think he was capable of doing something like this, saying the situation was a, quote, nightmare. As she recovered in Lee Memorial Hospital, she wanted to share that violence against women is not okay and that a woman has a right to her own body regardless of age or marriage status. This just, this is proof, though, this is proof positive of, of how stupid people can be. Oh, I wanted to scare my wife and shoot the mattress. I ended up shooting her in the ass. It's crazy. It's absolutely probably the most ridiculous news story I've read (laughs) in quite some time. And I've read a lot of crazy news stories, let me tell you. And uh, another news story that will be uh, followed, I guess, in the coming days or week, uh, NBC News is reporting that uh, nearly 190,000 citizens of Northern California uh, were ordered to evacuate Sunday, yesterday, after a spillway serving the county's tallest dam developed a hole that threatened to release uncontrolled floodwaters. Uh, this, this, as I said, this article is coming from NBC News, posted yesterday. Quote, the emergency slipway, slipway off the Oroville Dam was the second to fail in a matter of days after the dam's primary slipway developed a 200-foot-long, 30-foot-deep hole last week. The dam itself was not damaged, but because its water levels are so high following heavy rain, if the emergency slipway collapses, it could unleash a wall of water onto communities and rivers below. Uh, That's also nuts. 190,000 people uh, in danger of uh, their homes potentially being flooded out just just buried in water if this dam gives way if if there's no way to control it it, it really catastrophic uh situation could happen uh so that's going to be something that i guess we'll we'll take the news in the next couple of days keep your eyes peeled for that one but the first thing i want to focus on is is trump nominees trump cabinet nominees uh, because over the past week, that's what's been filling the news feeds, filling the buzz. Uh, you might have saw, like the other day, Betsy DeVoe was, quote, supposedly blocked from entering a D.C. school. Uh, thinking on their feet, I think they got her to another entrance because there was all of four people protesting. 
uh, one dude who was just very vocal, loud, shouting shame, and I hope you're proud of yourself, and then trying to block the motorcade of, uh, of Secret Service agents uh, who, you know, bust her around now. I understand maybe you don't like Bessie DeVoe, and, and that's a very controversial choice and all that, but uh, somebody might want to tell the guy that blocking, like, a Secret Service detail might not be the best of his choices. Now, Betsy DeVoe, she squeaked through, squeaked through the Senate vote. You know why? Because it was a 50-50 tie. And as is the case with ties in the House, it goes to the President of the Senate, which is Vice President Mike Pence. So... What do you think happened? Mike Pence cast the tie-breaking 51-50 to 50 favoring Betsy DeVoe. Or DeVos. I, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I don't care. A lot of people blew up over Pence casting that tie-breaking vote, which is his job. That's how it's written in the law that he's supposed to do. Uh, there, there is no such thing as, uh, oh, it's your administration, you can't cast a vote. Yeah, that's what happens when it goes to a 50-50 tie. The, the president of the Senate, a.k.a. the vice president of the United States, casts a vote to break the tie. So it's going to go the way that he wants it to go, and that's the way it works. Very sorry. I guess now would be a great time to plug Thomas Massey, Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky. Probably a good time to introduce uh, his bill right now, or talk about his bill right now. Uh, It's a one-line bill that uh, literally just says the Department of Education will cease operations on such and such a date. I forget what the date is. But yeah, Thomas Massey introduced a bill to, you know, just end the Federal Department of Education, which, here's the thing. A lot of people were bickering at that, saying that... uh, we need the Federal Department of Education. We don't actually need the Federal Department of Education. The states can actually do that. It's actually, in terms of constitutionally speaking, it's not listed in the Constitution. Some people lump that in with general welfare as part of national uh, federal government's scope of power. But we don't actually, we don't, we don't, you can make cases against the Federal Department of Education. For real. It goes back to a state's right thing and states controlling their educational departments. And it's not that controversial. It really isn't. When you dive into the little nuances of it. But that's what people are fighting over. And, and the, the fight now is, is curbing from Betsy DeVos to, uh, right now, Andrew Puzder, or Puzder, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's Trump's nominee to lead the labor cabinet. He's the, uh, he's the CEO of Hardee's and Carl Jr., and uh, some of the criticisms that uh, people have against him, criticisms that they have are the way he treats his workers. Of course, the, the article provides no examples or highlights of that, so, so there's that. Uh, but also, uh, his wife once accused him of domestic violence, uh, which the article notes uh, she has retracted it since then. And hiring at one point in his life an illegal immigrant housekeeper. 
So there's that, uh, the, the contradictions with the Trump presidency. The conservatives, this article, and this article is from The Hill, by the way, uh, says that he's facing criticism from uh, the right over his stance on immigration, saying that he's weak on immigration enforcement, and others have criticized his restaurants for employing foreign guest workers, which, I mean, is really question mark. What's the argument there? I don't understand. Right now, and uh, I want to just uh, focus on the immigration crackdowns, okay? We have the, of course, executive order, which uh, we'll get to in a moment, but there's also immigration crackdowns. There's, there's protesters all around. Here's an article from The Hill. Hundreds gather in D.C. to protest immigration enforcement. This article says, quote, Hundreds of demonstrators gathered near the White House on Saturday in protest of raids following President Trump's executive order ramping up immigration enforcement, holding signs bearing calls to resist the Trump administration's, quote, anti-immigrant policies. Some 200 protesters chanted, here to stay and undocumented, unafraid. The protest called together earlier Saturday capped off a week marked by the first large-scale enforcement of Trump's January 25th executive order cracking down on the roughly 11 million people living in the U.S. illegally. Here is the deal. I am pro-immigration. I'm fine with immigration. And I'm fine as long as it's done a certain way, legally, uh, by the system, fairly. And I have no problem Mind you, this all started under President Obama. President Obama started cracking down. He started raids. He started deporting people. And people weren't so up in arms about it. But there were some protesters. 200 isn't really a good number. So maybe it is that small band of people that just do not care about order and doing things properly. I'm sorry. It's not, I mean, you know, maybe... Not a mass deportation of all of them, or, or things like that, but certainly those that, I mean, mind you, they've come here illegally. Okay, so maybe we need to revamp our immigration policies, make it easier for people to actually come in and be citizens and acclimate themselves to our culture and all that. But at the same time, I have no, I don't have a problem with them, you know, that they're illegal immigrants. Okay, so until you're established paying taxes and doing the same things that we're doing, there is this uh, balance that is way off center right now. Because uh, I've had this discussion before, one of the biggest problems with illegal immigration is the fact that it is incentivized. It's been incentivized. Illegal immigration has been incentivized. And... It gives preferential treatment, and then there's people on a waiting list trying to do things the proper way, trying to follow the established order, the established procedures, and there's all these people that just get a, a, a pass from everybody. How can you give a pass to somebody that isn't putting their worth in society? They're reaping the benefits, but they're not paying in. And there's companies that take them and pay them under the table like the worst crap wages that you could ever see because they're willing to do it. And 
people find that problematic. Well, it all starts with the fact that there's illegal immigration here. So what are you supposed to do? Just blanket amnesty? Just blanket citizenship? Uh, you know, what, what, what do you do? Some people you do have to get out of here. And you're going to hear people go for the emotional route. You're breaking up families and all that. Uh, if one of them committed a crime, a serious crime, nobody's going to say you're breaking families apart if that guy ends up going to jail or prison for committing a heinous crime. And if somebody does, then that's sad that you would look at it that way when somebody's committing a crime. Now I'm not notice notice how I'm talking about it. Notice how I'm not saying they're all terrible people. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they should all be rounded up and deported. I'm not saying that. I am saying that you can't keep the situation or the status quo as it is. You can't incentivize illegal immigration. You can't say, okay, well, we're just going to take care of you anyway because we're nice people. No. Sorry. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. So when I see protests like this going on, I don't really, I, I can't get behind it. I don't understand what's going on with that. Uh, so among those things going on too, now the Senate is churning through uh, multiple nominations for Donald Trump. Uh, we, we talked about Betsy DeVoe, DeVos. Um now the Senate is uh, looking at uh, the, the one name I just threw out there. Also, um, wrapping up on Steve Munchen's nomination to be Treasury Secretary. That's underway. Uh, one of the ones that happened that kind of shocked me was uh, Jeff Sessions being confirmed. Now, I shouldn't say surprising that he was confirmed, but surprising that Rand Paul supported him. I'll get to that in a moment. Let me just read you some brief snippets from this New York Times article. Quote, Senator Jeff Sessions was confirmed on Wednesday as President Trump's attorney general, capping a bitter and racially charged nomination battle that crested with the procedural silencing of a leading Democrat, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Mr. Sessions, an Alabama Republican, survived a near party line vote 52 to 47 in the latest sign of the extreme partisanship at play as Mr. Trump strains to install his cabinet. No Republicans broke ranks in their support of a colleague who will become the nation's top law enforcement official after two decades in the Senate. But the confirmation process, ferocious even by standards of moldering decorum that have defined the bodies, the bodies in recent years, laid bare the Senate's deep divisions at the outset of the Trump presidency. At the same time, the treatment of Ms. Warren, who was forced to stop speaking late Tuesday after criticizing Mr. Sessions from the Senate floor, rekindled the gender-infused politics that animated the presidential election and the Women's March protesting Mr. Trump the day after his inauguration last month. Now, trying to bear through that because it is a New York Times article and you can definitely see that there are some different angles being forced in this article trying to read about it. Uh, I want to play you the clips real quick of Warren being silenced on the floor and some of the response of that as well. Of those laws... The senator is reminded that it is a violation of Rule 19 of the standing rules of the Senate to impute to another senator or senators any conduct or motive unworthy or becoming a senator. Uh, Mr. President, I don't think I quite understand. I'm reading a letter 
from Coretta Scott King to the Judiciary Committee from 1986 that was admitted into the record. I'm simply reading what she wrote about what the nomination of Jeff Sessions to be a federal court judge meant and what it would mean in history for her. This is a reminder, not pertinent necessarily to what you just shared. However, you stated that there, a sitting senator is a disgrace to the Department of Justice. Uh, I think that may have been and, Senator and, and, and this. Although I would be glad to repeat it in my own words. The rule applies then I'm to, to imputing conduct or motive through any form or voice to a sitting form of words includes quotes, articles, or other materials. So quoting Senator Kennedy calling then a, 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 a nominee Sessions a disgrace is a violation of Senate rules. It was certainly not in 1986. In the opinion of the chair, it is. So let me understand then. And, and, and the senator is warned. So can I ask a question in the opinion of the chair? I want to understand what this the, rule the means. The senator will state her inquiry. So is it the contention of the chair that under the rules of the Senate, I am not allowed to accurately describe public views of Senator Sessions, public positions of Senator Sessions, quote, public statements of Senator Sessions? The, senator, the chair has not made a ruling with respect to the senator's comments. The chair has not made a ruling as respect to the senator's comments. The senator is following process and tradition. The senator is following process and tradition. By reminding the senator from Massachusetts. By reminding the senator of Massachusetts of the rule. Well, I'm, I'm asking for what this rule apply. means in this context. So can I continue with Coretta Scott King's letter? The senator may continue. Thank you. They are mothers, daughters, sisters, fathers, sons, and brothers. Mr. President. They are... Mr. President. The majority leader. The senators impugn the motives and conduct of our colleague from Alabama as warned by the chair. Senator Warren, quote, said Senator Sessions has used the awesome power of his office to chill the free exercise of the vote by black citizens. I call the senator to order under the provisions of Rule 19. Mr. President. The senator from Massachusetts. Mr. President, I am surprised that the words of Coretta Scott King are not suitable for debate in the United States Senate I ask leave of the Senate to continue my remarks. Is there objection? Okay. Object. I appeal the ruling. Object. Objection is heard. The Senator will take her seat. Wow. Talk about opening a can of worms. That led to Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, stating this. The Senator from Florida. Uh, I have some comment, but let me first the parliamentary inquiry about these are the continuing rules of the Senate that have been in existence previous to this time and have carried over in, into this session. Is that correct? The senator is correct. And the reason why I ask that, Mr. President, is the following. Look, I think we all feel very passionate about the issues before us. I have not been here as long as Senator Leahy, whose service here is quite distinguished in a long period of time. And um, I truly do understand the passions people bring to this body. I, 
field to think, I like to think that I too am passionate about the issues before us. And I think this is an important moment. Uh, it's late. I doubt very many people are paying attention. I wish they would, though, because I think what's a question here is perhaps one of the very reasons why I ran for this body to begin with. Um, and maybe it's because of my background and where I'm surrounded by people that uh, have lost freedoms in places where they're not allowed to speak. One of the great traditions of our nation is the ability to come forward and have debates. But the founders and the framers and those who established this institution and guided it for over two centuries understood that that debate was impossible if, in fact, the matters became of a personal nature. And let me begin by saying that I don't believe that that was necessarily the intention here, although that was perhaps the way it turned out. But I think it's important for us to understand why that matters so much. I want people to think about our politics here today in America. Because I'm telling you guys, I don't know of a single nation in the history of the world that's been able to solve its problems when half the people in a country absolutely hate the other half people in that country. This is the most important country in the world. And this body cannot function if people are offending one another, and that's why those rules are in place. I was not here when Secretary Clinton was nominated as a member of this body at the time. But I can tell you that I am just barely old enough to know that some very nasty things have been written and said about Secretary Clinton. And I think the Senate should be very proud that during her nomination to be Secretary of State, despite the fact that I imagine many people were not excited about the fact that she would be Secretary of State, to my recollection, and perhaps I'm incorrect, not a single one of those horrible things that have been written or said about her, some of which actually did accuse her of wrongdoing, were ever uttered on the floor of the Senate. I happen to remember in 2004, when, when uh, then-Senator Kerry ran for president, some pretty strong things were written and said about him. I was here for that vote when he was nominated and confirmed to be Secretary of State, and I don't recall a single statement being written into the record about the things that had been said about him. And I want everybody to understand at the end of the night, this is not a partisan issue. It really is not. So Rubio says not a partisan issue, defends the GOP's move against Warren. That letter ended up being read by Bernie Sanders. Uh, Elizabeth Warren live-streamed it outside the Senate. It's one of those funky, wacky rules that the Senate has where they can... Uh, they can make up rules and say that uh, they don't want certain things being read on the Senate floor. Now, there's a huge debate to be had there. Should uh, should character attacks or, or looks at character attacks like that. I just think that it, uh, it, it gave some very telling headlines and how people are going to run it. And Mar Marco Rubio, part of what he said in that speech right there, is true. Right now, I feel as if the nation is, is 50... 50, half, the, uh, half of them are over here hating this half, and that half is over there hating the other half. And I see it in debate all the time. Uh, unfortunately, you see it on social media almost every day. Uh, somebody posts something, and it's specifically, oh, the, these Republicans and, and these conservatives are uh, ruining the nation and there's the conservatives and the republicans saying that look at these look at these precious little snowflakes uh protesting in the streets over all this stuff because uh because they are so pansy-esque and you have these two sides colliding and and none of them are coming into the middle and talking whatsoever none of them can actually have a debate about things and look at things from different aspects. It's it's either my way or the highway with everybody. It's, it's with everybody. Everybody has this fuck 'em and duck 'em attitude, 
and I don't get it. I don't get why it's uh, I don't get why it, it's so one-sided and can't have this this middle ground in the middle. Silencing Elizabeth Warren over reading a, a letter by Coretta Scott King from 1986, I believe it was. You know, I don't know how much impact that would have on Jeff Sessions' nomination. I don't. I can't even begin to pretend uh, the intentions behind it and 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 for what purpose. Um, that being said, Rand Paul voted for Jeff Sessions, and that ticked off a bunch of Rand Paul fans because he's supposed to be the the. The libertarian guy that uh, that everybody uh, likes who's standing up to Donald Trump, but seemingly it's like, oh, did you did he cave for Jeff Sessions? And it looks like it looks to me as if it's Rand Paul picking and choosing his battles, so to speak. I want to read you some snippets here from uh, an author, W. James Annell the Third who penned this opinion article, Rand Paul has a plan to influence the Trump administration and is working. Quote, Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, is taking a lot of friendly fire from libertarians. The big issue is Paul's vote to confirm Jeff Sessions as attorney general. Quote, how does a drug war and mass incarceration critic vote for the Senate's most strident supporter of both to run the Department of Justice, asked the Washington Post libertarian scribe, Radley Balco. Complicated things. While the Kentucky senator seemed to bend on Sessions, he was gearing up to oppose the hawkish Elliot Abrams if he was nominated for Deputy Secretary of State, just as Paul promised to do whatever it took to block Bush-era hawk John Bolton from either of the top two State Department's jobs. The Abrams appointment is now moot, as President Trump has personally nixed his nomination. But I must say, I think Paul's priorities here are correct. The libertarian case against Sessions, characteristically well-made by Representative Justin Amash, Republican from Michigan, is that he is bad on civil asset forfeiture, bad on drug policy, and a throwback to law and order republicanism after several years of conservatives warming to criminal justice reform. Libertarians believe America is locking too many people up and police power is prone to abuse, while Sessions' view on these subjects have often been caricatured by the left. It is fair to say he is not on the same page as Libertarians, and indeed, if Paul had voted against Sessions on the basis of any of this, it certainly would have been defensible. But no matter who became Attorney General, the Trump administration is obviously going to be bad from a libertarian perspective on these issues. The president's impulses on dealing with bad hombres are not remotely civil libertarian. President Trump was inevitably going to get an Attorney General who reflected his views on the issues, and he could have gotten one much less competent and personally decent than Sessions. From a libertarian perspective, Sessions is bad, but it could have been much worse. Senator Paul understood this. What is still very much up in the air is what kind of foreign policy we are going to get from the Trump administration. Trump's impulses are often sensible. He understands the wars of the past 16 years have not achieved their desired objectives despite their considerable cost in blood and treasure. 
Quote, one of the things I like about President Trump is his acknowledgement that nation building does not work and actually works against the nation building we need to do here at home, Rand Paul wrote. With a $20 trillion debt, we don't have the money to do both. Article goes on to stay, but obviously... Our president represents some danger abroad, too. Trump temperamentally does not like to back down from fights, and a lot of his advisors are hawkish. It's an open question what his foreign policy will look like. In that sense, the advice Trump gets on foreign policy can make big difference. And right now, we are counting on a defense secretary nicknamed Mad Dog to be a major voice of restraint. Abrams is leading... Abrams is a leading neoconservative, a prominent, a proponent of the foreign policy Trump rejected when he called the Iraq war a disaster on the eve of winning the South Carolina primary and ending Jeb Bush's potential campaign. Bolton is no neocon, properly understood. He rejects democracy promotion and other more idealistic parts of the neoconservative vision, but he embraces to a he embraces too low a threshold for the use of military force. Trump is going to be a law and order president. It's also worth noting that conservative support for criminal justice reform is dependent on a relatively on relatively low crime rates that were not entirely secured by libertarian means. But Trump doesn't have to be hawkish president. Paul understands this and is picking his spots to oppose and prod Trump accordingly. As a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Paul has more practical ability to stall or even circumvent nominees who would try to make the Trump foreign policy George W. Bush 2.0. But if Paul had voted against Sessions, the Alabama Republican would still have been confirmed. Paul would have just been the sole Republican on the side of the Democrats who tried to assassinate Sessions' character. Many libertarians don't like Paul's colleagiality with more status Republicans, but if you're going to work within the Republican Party, sometimes you've got to, well, work with the Republican Party. Immigration and foreign policy realism are two things we might get out of a Trump administration. On civil liberties, the new president will sadly not be an improvement over other post-9-11 administrations. That's something we'll just have to accept, but anything Paul can do to keep the foreign policy voices surrounding Trump from simply being a cacophony of a hawks is constructive and the smart way to focus his energy. So there's just a dissenting opinion for you of why Rand Paul might have voted the way he voted. Every once in a while, something comes up, and I go, I'm not sure if I agree with him. Maybe he had, Maybe there's a method to his madness. I don't know. Uh, I'm glad that article mentioned Justin Amash, though. Over the weekend, I watched several town halls that Justin Amash has hosted. Uh, if you don't know Justin Amash, he is a congressman from Michigan. Uh, Republican, often touted and, and hailed libertarian-ish type of, uh, of person that, that the libertarians like. Now, watching these uh, these town halls on YouTube, it's usually recorded by somebody who was present, so the quality of them isn't that good, especially when the recorders are interjecting their own opinion and hooting and hollering the entire time, which I, I was going to comment on and get into a, a back and forth with the guy that recorded it, but I didn't want to. I just wanted to say, hey, man, thanks for recording it, and maybe next time shut your mouth so people can actually hear what's going on. But that's beside the point. Um... 
Justin Amash was thanked by both town halls that I watched, um, despite the fact that he was facing his constituents who uh, aren't exactly all on board with him. Um, being a libertarian, it's hard to have people on board with you because they think you don't care uh, because you want to eliminate things in the government rather than keep them, retool them, fix them, whatnot. Here's a Politico article from How One GOP Congressman Tamed Pro-Obamacare Protesters. Uh, subtext, Republican Justin Amash rejected the defense crouch many in his party have assumed in response to liberal demonstrators. This is by Rachel Bade. Let me just read some snippets from it. Um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. It had all the makings of the anti-Trump town hall meetings Republicans have come to fear. Retired healthcare industry worker Paul Bonas stood up and implored Republican Representative Justin Amash to commit to keeping Obamacare. His life, the 61-year-old cancer survivor said, might actually depend on it. But Amash refused, and the auditorium, packed with some 600 mostly liberal constituents, erupted in boos and jeers for a good 30 seconds. You are not supporting your constituents, yelled one person. Instead of getting defensive or ducking for cover, though, the 36-year-old Michigan lawmaker leaned in, coolly explained his position on the health care law. He made one point of trying to connect with the overwhelmingly Democratic room, jabbing President Donald Trump for what he called racially insensitive, insensitive remarks and overreaching policies. Amash seemed to enjoy the give and take so much that he stayed 40 minutes longer than scheduled and promised to book an even bigger venue next time. It was a jarring juxtaposition uh, from the hunkered-down, protective posture many GOP lawmakers have assumed in recent weeks as Democrats stormed their town hall meetings and congressional offices. At a closed-door all-conference meeting on Tuesday, House Republicans were advised to limit crowd sizes, hire security, and ensure they literally have an exit strategy to ensure they don't get stamped, stampeded by protesters. Many lawmakers are holding telephone town halls to avoid the tumult. Quote, Most of my colleagues unfortunately go with the flow. They want to stick to their comfort zones in many cases, Amash told Politico in a brief interview after the event. Quote, This doesn't make me uncomfortable. I like being here, hearing the different perspectives. I'm not afraid of my positions. And you can dig that up on YouTube. You can look. People have posted it in its entirety, and you can watch it. And I thought it was a good, informative, you know, look. And it also taught me that, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to become a politician ever because you have to stand in front of a crowd of angry people who will just be angry. They will yell, they will hoot, they will holler, they will make things emotional and try to appeal to their emotions. And it's like it's like it's like a lamb to the slaughter almost. Like I watched and I felt bad for the guy, but Justin Amash is a very interesting character. That's one of the reasons why I follow him. Because he continues to go to these town halls, continues to invite everybody in continues to stand his ground even when the whole crowd is booing at his you know down his throat he doesn't waver on his principles of the thing he says look i understand you guys like this and and want it but that doesn't mean i'm i, I cave i have constituents outside of here that feel another way and this is also he explains things out in such a way that's amazing i can't even begin to tell you about that so that's where we are this week. That's that's that is how we're sitting this week uh, with all the madness 
that's going on. And, and, and it'll be continual madness for a couple of weeks, if not the next year. But that's all I'm going to talk your little heads off for today. So I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about how divided we are as a nation right now. Because seemingly every other week you see something like a protest at UC Berkeley over Milo Yiannopoulos. I, I really didn't cover that. Uh, happened like a couple weeks ago. But that's because it's Milo Yiannopoulos. He, he goes around town to town with his speech and, and, and all that and gets people riled up and gets the media attention and then goes to the next town and does it again and he reaps all the benefits and money and writes books about how people are silencing him on speech. So think about that. But that'll do it for me. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Like, share, comment. Do what you do on social media. And uh, of course, as always, get ready for next week because who knows what's going to happen over the course of this next week that we'll have to talk about on Monday. Fritz out. Follow me at FritzQS on the Twitter. The FritzCast on Facebook. Facebook.com slash The FritzCast and FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com Love you all. Have a good week.